You're about to hear a favorite from the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze archive. This show originally aired in 2017. All from my city, all from my home. We're flying up, no ceiling when we in our zone. I got that sunshine in my pocket. Got that good soul in my feet. I feel that hot blood in my body when it drops. It's great to have you joining the party on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze, inviting you to join us to eat, drink, and be merry. We have coming up a celebration of the Bloody Mary. Everybody loves them, and we've got so much on the show. We have a wine discovery for you and simple green suppers that satisfy the way main dishes do. My treasured food buddies are here. Senior contributors Chris Prosperi, Alex Province, and Robin Doyan Aiken is our senior producer. Hey, everybody. Hey. Hey, hey. All right. So we have an exciting show ready for you. We're going wild with the Bloody Mary to start, and we hope to hear from you on Facebook. Think about your first sip of a well-made Bloody Mary, the Mm. tomato tang, the horseradish depth, the heat of hot sauce, a touch of celery salt that does something indescribable, I think, and the vodka holding it all together. Before we talk fabulous recipes, let's get into... Do you know, does anybody know who invented the Bloody Mary? It turns Hmm. out, there's a lot of debate about this. Okay, first of all, of course there is, and disagreements. But in the 1920s, a guy named Pete Petiot, he's a well-known American bartender working in Paris, and he was introduced to two new things. Russians were arriving with real Russian vodka. People hadn't Uh, tasted that before. And Americans started bringing in canned tomato juice that Mm. was flooding the market. And so Petio began experimenting, and eventually, of course, he's a bartender. He puts the two together, and what came to be called the Bloody Mary was born, and bartenders got jiggy with it, adding a celery stick for swizzle, (laughs) Worcestershire sauce, hot pepper, horseradish, celery salt on the rim. It became the rage in New York when an Astor, Mr. Astor, brought Mr. Petio and his classic creation from Paris to New York City, and he installed him at the renowned King Cole Bar, telling him to let loose his Bloody Mary concoction upon the world, which he did. Customers fell in love. Everybody started copying it. And since then, the Bloody Mary has been endlessly, often thrillingly hacked. Mm. You have to admit, it has been hacked by home and professional bartenders who want to spin the classic. Has it always been called Bloody Mary? No, it started out as something else. I'm not even sure it had a name. Mm -hmm. We'll find out from our guest who knows the history better than I do. I mean, I did a lot of research for this. but um, French name, maybe. It was was a kind of nothing in the beginning. It wasn't a thing, and it became a thing. I'm interested in finding out what it is. So let's talk about our favorites, because we want to talk with you on Facebook about this. Mm. Chris, do you First, I want to just say this is my cocktail. I can do a martini every once in a while, but if there's a cocktail I drink on a regular basis, yeah. it is this. Only at and, brunch or do you do it like at no, dinner? Or? No, at dinner. or No, not at dinner, but in the afternoon, like if I get home early. It, it doesn't have to be with vodka. Okay. Right? I can just drink this as a Virgin Mary. 
I just love I the agree. flavor profile of it. Okay, so, so how would you, what would be your ideal way of having a Bloody Mary? Or where have you gone where oh, you say okay, they make so, the best Okay, ever? so at West Street Grill in Litchfield, hands down, they make one of the best Bloody Marys in the state. There's no question. It's West chunky. It's spicy. I mean, a lot of times you get it and it is just a watered down like tomato juice kind of thing. I just love it with a lot of oomph and a lot of flavor. And, and texture, it and sounds texture, like. And texture, yeah, and spice. And not just salt. You want it to have, like, yeah, you know, depth. Lemon body, and body. Horseradish yeah. lemon. Body. And, yeah. You like the chunkiness. I like the chunky, And the, the horseradish forward. Worcestershire okay. sauce. Alex yeah. Provence. So I like mine at 35,000 feet. When I'm traveling, <laughs> like, I love a Bloody Mary, like, on a plane. You do. Nice. And, and what are you, they doing? Just putting in regular they tomatoes? They Mr. Mr. and Mrs. Uh, oh, you know, tees, yeah. Tea or whatever. The, the, the already bottled, yeah. And there's some good ones out there. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's, you know, yeah, it's good. And then, you know, they, they'll give you the one bottle of the single serve. And if you're nice to your flight attendant, maybe you get two. <laughs> and, and you, yeah. So you use vodka in yours. Vodka. Because yep. the hacking has involved now oh, using substituting. Other, we'll get, yeah. We're going to get to that. Okay. Uh, Robin, do you have a favorite place or do you make one at home? Well, I'm kind of a, a Bloody Mary novice. I realized your research for this show was academic and mine was purely tasting stuff. And so I realized <laughs> that I should have been drinking Bloody Mary's. (laughs) Okay. I remember our first cocktail competition years ago now. And the winning cocktail was a restaurant that did a Bloody Mary, but it was a... It it was white. It It was clear. Yeah, they strained it and they they refined it and they they clarified it. They used tomato water. Yeah. Instead of you squeeze the tomato and clear liquid comes out, not red. And that's how they strained and strained and strained. Anyway. And this cocktail had all the flavor of Bloody Mary, but it was totally, it was mind blowing because it was totally clear. (laughs) All right. To this day, my own favorite Bloody Mary was served uh, 20 years ago at a waterfront bar in Provincetown where there was this fleet of waiters, one more handsome than the next, by the way, and they all (laughs) wore these white Navy officer uniforms and hats, you know, with the visor. (laughs) And into the blender, they would put clamato juice, Chris. Oh, that's one of my favorites. A cup of local fresh cooked clams, whole clams. Nice. Yeah. Worcestershire sauce, hot sauce, horseradish, celery salt, and then they buzz it up and serve it in these tall glasses with a straw and a spoon. Yum. <laughs> because it had oh, chunks, tiny clam. chunks of clams. Is oh the place God. still it there now? It sounded like, well, first of all, I had one every day at four o'clock, cocktail nice. hour, <laughs> uh, sitting on a stool, and it was in open air, and you'd overlook the gorgeous har- harbor in Provincetown every single day for my two-week vacation. <laughs> Sadly, <laughs> the original place is not there. Um, but I vow, this is what I think we should do. We should vow. I vow to make the clam Bloody Mary this summer, just the way it was done, maybe adding my own spin. And I think that's going to be some, as you might guess, fried up bacon till it's crispy Ooh. and then crumbled on the top of the drink. So, it's so like it would a be clam casino bacon. Kind of. Oh, <laughs> yeah. oh put some peppers casino. in there. Oh, that's crazy all right. Good. So you're going to hear right now about all the ways drink makers have been creating the new Bloody Mary, riffing on the classic, and um, sometimes shifting away from vodka or celery salt, adding some wild stuff. Uh, But our test in the end, before we start this conversation, is no matter how creative it is, does it really taste good? As good or even better than the original classic? It's as simple as that. This is a fun show. We have guests coming your way. 
uh, who know the Bloody Mary world, but we want to talk with you during the show and after the show on Facebook. So please tell us now or later where you get your favorite Bloody Mary or Bloody Mary mix or what you do at home to make yours and share your post with all your friends so we can hear. If you have any friends in other countries, please do that. Share it with them too because we want to hear, is this being hacked in other countries? I mean, what are they doing over there? What are their spices? Maybe somebody in Tunisia or Italy, somebody's making Bloody Mary that's killer good and we should know about what they're doing so to get on facebook with us you go to faith middleton food schmooze feel free to invent all new bloody marys you know in writing say i i've never made this before but i would think this would be good take a picture yep we're on facebook at faith middleton food schmooze then share it with your friends all over the place so we can hear lots and lots of stuff from you here we go we're going to go to our guest right now And he is Brian Bartles, and he has done a book called The Bloody Mary. Welcome to the Food Schmooze Party. Thank you so much. Great to be here. Oh, it's great to have you here. We really enjoyed your book. I'm going to start with a bang. I want to go straight to a recipe because we have this poured in our glasses right now. Mm. It is your barbecue Bloody Mary. And if you'll allow me, this is, you know, we've been talking about how people are hacking the Bloody Mary. This is one... What do you hear this? Tomato juice, vodka, beef drippings, or beef broth, which gives it this incredible body. Yep. Uh, Worcestershire sauce, prepared horseradish, sriracha sauce, celery salt, freshly ground black pepper, teaspoons of salt, and the juice of half a lemon. How about that? Where'd you get this recipe? Well, this was definitely from the one and only Chris Lilly, who is the chef and the head pitmaster of Big Bob Gibson's Barbecue in Alabama. He um, yeah. he participates in the Big Apple Barbecue every summer, uh, and it's an amazing festival celebrating all things barbecue. And I, to this day, have never forgotten my first time trying his barbecue. And I reached out to him. I wanted to see if he would be interested in contributing a recipe, and lo and behold, he had one pretty much right at the hip that he shot from. So. <laughs> well, this is, I, I just think this beef drippings is genius. Yeah. Sometimes amazing. I, amazing. I put yeah. beef drippings in my salad dressing because it gives it this back note of richness that's so incredible, mm. but I've never thought about it for Bloody Mary. What a smart thing to do. It really is. I don't know if Chris got the recipe or was inspired by uh, the Bloody Bull, which is a, a variation on a Bloody Mary with okay beef broth that started in the 80s by a, um, a very reputable cocktail master named Dale DeGroff. Yeah, um, I'll say. And uh, the beef broth, you're absolutely right. The richness is elevated, and it just kind of brings a whole new flavor of um, uh, umami. To yeah. The we wanted to mention that this is at our website with a beautiful picture, and it is um, the Barbecue Bloody Mary. You'll find it at foodschmooze.org with a picture of the book and a description of the book. So if you want to remember that in case you want to get the book by our guest, Brian Bartles. So Brian, love this thing. And cr- it you. came together so easily. Um, so and it feels like a meal. That's, that's <laughs> yeah, the thing about the richness it. of the beef Many broth. Many Marys do have that, yeah, kind of <laughs> appeal to it. Yeah, the so, first meal of the day, as some say. <laughs> <laughs> so we have a wild one coming your way, but but I want to go to something more traditional. But we do. I'm telling you, it is the wildest Bloody Mary I've ever heard of. Okay, I'm just going to put that out there. Um, the original Bloody Mary. We have yep. this on the site too. 
There's a lot of debate about, we'll get to history in just a second. So for your original Bloody Mary, what's in it? Well, it's really straightforward, actually. It inhabits vodka, tomato juice, and lemon juice. And um, that's when it decides whether or not it wants to get a little more creative with the extra ingredients, the, the pepper, the Tabasco, um, or celery salt. But the really straightforward ingredients were established in Mr. Boston's Deluxe Official Bartender's Guide from no. way back when. Can I ask you this? So because the story I told, I, I did a lot of research in prep for this show, and one of the streams of conversation I came upon said that there was a Mr. Petio, who was an American bartender in Paris. Yep. So that's true. So he was the guy who, in that bar, Russian vodka, Russians started coming to Paris, and they were bringing yep. Russian vodka. And so that's yep. his first exposure. Then Americans are coming with this canned tomato juice, which was like a new thing. Right. It was very much especially, but rare in the 20s. And people associate Fernand Petiu with the creation of the Bloody Mary in Harry's Bar in Paris in the early 20s. However, canned tomato juice didn't become available until the late 20s, at mm-hmm. about 27, 28. And while he does get a lot of publicity for starting that, yeah. he actually claims later on in a New Yorker article in the mid-60s that <laughs> um, an actual vaudeville entertainer by the name of George Jessel was the one who created the early version of a Bloody Mary. No, George Jessel, George Jessel was a yeah. famous guy. He was a famous entertainer. He was a famous entertainer. He, ing- he invented the Bloody Mary. Well, that is the wildest thing I've ever he heard. He claim to it, yes. It's an interesting... <laughs> it's an Why don't interesting we lay claim to it? <laughs> yeah. It seems to be the kind of world we're in now. You just lay claim to anything. I invented it. <laughs> I invented it <laughs> when I was born. Yeah, without the, without uh, the internet, you could have pretty much created scientific discoveries <laughs> Uh, but how fascinating to see that it starts with that Russian vodka. Yep. By the way, that patio was Mr. Astor installed him at the King Cole Bar in New York and said, have at it with your Bloody Mary. That's and right. And he did, and it became famous, right? It became famous from that, yeah. 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 I've been quoted in the past as saying it, but George Jessel had the keys to the Cadillac, but Fernand Petiu pretty much took the Cadillac out in the highway. <laughs> oh, you're great, Brian. So we did the original Bloody Mary. We've agreed on the, the history. And now I must take you to the third thing we have on the site, because, you know, how, you, when you hear this, you'll know. How can you not? Uh, it is the peanut butter and jelly <laughs> and oh. Mary. So the PB&J and yep. Mary. PB&J. Seriously? You know, you know, if the apocalypse were upon us and people were burying <laughs> coffee cans in their backyard, I'd be burying a jar of peanut butter in my backyard. I'm, listen, I'm afraid. Peanut butter. But I'm afraid if I have this, I'll be the Walking Dead. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've never seen the Walking Dead, but I'm told it's quite the show. Um, in terms of entertainment value, this was created to entertain, like all the recipes in the book. And yeah. uh, I, I just love infusing spirits with peanuts, and it comes across really mm. well in vodka and tequila, especially. And it actually does wonders in bourbon. Would you walk us through this, how you, in, oh, yeah. how you infused your vodka with peanuts? This is such I, an intriguing idea. I was very experimental with early recipes, and I just wanted to push the boundaries, but also make it hopefully user-friendly for the home bartender. And my goal was to kind of make something like peanut-infused spirits Easy mm-hmm. and, and something that maybe people probably didn't think of before, and it's rare to see it. I know there's allergies out there, and people definitely have their own uh, hesitation to doing something like this when it involves chemistry. But 
it's really easy to do yeah. a small amount of peanuts that are unsalted in a, a larger 750 milliliter bottle of vodka or tequila and let it sit for two hours, shake it once or twice, and then strain it out, and then you've got peanut-infused spirits. And and ta- can you really impressive. taste it? You can taste yeah. it? Oh, my gosh. It's so good. Wow. Yep. I feel okay. like this would be a good Bloody Mary for, like, a mom's book club. <laughs> <laughs> we moms, we always have peanut butter and, and jelly. jelly. So. Yeah, yeah. But we, you, the age of Instagram yeah. on us, that would be uh, an amazing drink to bank for the book club or any kind of club. <laughs> okay. So then you have, with that peanut-infused vodka that any of us can make, then you yep. are uh, adding tomato juice. Do you have a preferred brand or you don't I, care? I'm really kind of open to that. I guess Campbell's tomato juice is probably my best go-to, but it really varies and it's different when you okay. compare canned tomato juice to bottled, like plastic bottling tomato juice or uh, the glass version as well. Um, yeah. they, they come across different on your palate, but I like Sacramento. I like Campbell's. That's a famous one. So good on the tomato juice. Now, um, <laughs> you put in a little bit of strawberry jam. Yep. yep. And that, of that course, sweetness elevates it. Hot sauce. You like Cholula, Cholula for this one. Yeah. Cholula is not too abrasive. It's actually yeah. nice and balanced. So you can actually have a, a good dose of it yep. and it, and it complements the, uh, um, I agree. The texture. Yeah, it's like a reference to heat, but not burn. Definitely. Um, a squeezed lemon juice mm-hmm. and some Worcestershire sauce. Yeah. And so that's, it's not as if you are doing uh, some crazy thing where you're putting tablespoons full of peanut butter into the no. drink, which is what I thought this was going to be. It's really impressive how much the peanut and the, that strawberry jam elevates the the tomato, <laughs> the Worcestershire, and the Cholula. And really? Like, yeah. Well, tomatoes are fruit. Flavor. That makes sense. It is, yep. And they all play nice in the playground together. That's oh, the whole That's man. a good way of putting <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> and then is, do you do anything? What's a Twizzler that you could use? See, um, you know what I was thinking of? A long pretzel filled with peanut butter. Oh, yeah. Mm. We can do that, Peanut too. butter pretzel stick. Like a combo? <laughs> You know That's those peanut butter show. pretzel sticks? Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. Okay. Combo Feel free to use that, Brian. <laughs> okay. <laughs> you invented it. <laughs> our show wants full credit. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> That's on our website, too, because you, you just have to try it. The book is called The Bloody Mary, Brian Bartles. We're going to take a short break right now. More mouth-watering conversation and fun ahead on the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. I hope you will make a charitable contribution to Feed the Hungry. They are many. We're online now at foodschmooze.org, and we'll be right back. listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired in 2017. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread. Beans and cornbread had a fight. Beans not cornbread out of sight. Cornbread said, now that's all right. Meet me on the corner tomorrow night. I'll be ready, 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 I'
<laughs> okay, sign up for our uh, free podcast copy of the show that arrives in your inbox every week. Just go to foodschmooze.org and sign in for that. I'm with my treasured food buddies, Chris Prosperi, chef and co-owner of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, wine broker Alex Province of Hartford, and senior producer Robin Doyan Aiken. Our special guest is Brian Bartles. He has done this book, The Bloody Mary, and we are celebrating Bloody Marys any time of day or night. <laughs> that is our game here on the show. Um <laughs> Brian, how do you give a Bloody Mary party? How would you do that? Good question. With Bloody Marys, the sky's the limit for garnishes. You can pretty much explore all kinds of boundaries. You know, obviously, everybody has their own idea of what the greatest recipe is. And there's a little angle or accent to everybody's, their own special recipe that they like. And that just brings a whole lot of variety to a party. I think something great that a guest could bring would be a little something to accent the party, like a hot sauce that might be unique that they really like. That oh, people. Yeah. Uh-huh. Bringing mm-hmm. like Cholula to a party where maybe somebody might not be familiar with Cholula is a really cool way of opening new doors. Yeah, so, okay. Something like, say you have a, a, a beautiful garden in your backyard, you go into a, a friend's party, and you've got fresh dill. Fresh dill in a Bloody mm-hmm. Mary is one of the greatest Ooh. little accents right on Ooh. top of the, uh, the, the, the drink itself Ooh. for all those aromatics, bitters, basically. Yeah. Like it gives you an so, impression of the drink before you even taste it. Because you've so. been trying so many Bloody Marys and making them, can I ask you, I have this idea in my head that I would really like to try a Putanesca Bloody Mary. Oh, wow. Do you think it would work? Sure, absolutely. You know, with the Kalamata olives, the anchovies, the tomato uh-huh. juice, the Same garlic, yep. the capers, and just it's buzz it up. Lemon. Yep. Yep. Yeah, and that would be delicious. A little Absolutely. hot, little hot stuff oh, in there. Yep. Putinesca Bloody me. Mary. Mm, I'm going to try it. We're going to try this on the show. And <laughs> then we're going to have Brian back again. I'm going to have to try that. Yes. And then we'll have a virtual tasting together and okay. see what we think. Great. Okay. And then I we'll talk it. Bloody Mary some more because well, there's so many more ideas. There's so many. It's endless. It's great. <laughs> Brian Bartles, uh, the Bloody Mary. Go to Facebook right now and start this conversation with how do you do your Bloody Mary? What special ingredient? Where do you go for the best Bloody Mary? Do you have a special mix? Everything. We want to talk Bloody Marys with you on Facebook. Here's where we are on Facebook. Faith Middleton, Food Schmooze. That's how you'll find us. And this book, the recipes from the book, information about the book at our website, foodschmooze.org. Thank you, Brian. Thanks for having me. Oh, there's more on the show. You're just not going to believe what's coming up. But I don't want to stop yet on the Bloody Marys because we've now agreed to do part two. I am challenging all of us. There's no surprise with me. You know I'm going to try this Putinesca Bloody Mary. Everybody, sort of Robin, Alex, and Chris, and we're going to ask Mark Raymond. He's a Bloody Mary king, that guy over there. We're going (laughs) to ask everybody to come up with what you think could be an original Bloody Mary. Because I'm guessing the Putinesca Bloody Mary hasn't been invented. Of course, it's probably right online if you Google it. But that's okay. I'm going to have to make it up from scratch. Look, he's Googling it. You invented it. it. Come on. (laughs) I'm looking right now. Okay. Now, so I wanted to mention what we used on a Bloody Mary we made in the studio and just tasted. And I'm going to take the top off the bottle and pour it into the dregs of my Bloody Mary glass This is from Waypoint Spirits in Bloomfield, Connecticut. They have created something called 
Labrador Noon Spicy 13. (laughs) And it is vodka specially created for Bloody Marys. Mm -hmm. So um, I had it only in the Bloody Mary we tried, and it was pretty terrific. Mm -hmm. And now I'm going to have it in the glass all by itself to see if I can tell you what they've done, because they're very secretive (laughs) about what's in here. Be careful, because it is spicy. peppers. It is hot. Yeah, I don't know if I drink it just like that, Faith. Is it hot? (laughs) Can you still talk? (laughs) Yep. We'll have to take over from here as Faith (laughs) regains her taste buds. Wow. You're blowing out fire. This is <laughs> on a scale from one to ten, oh. ten being the hottest. This is really something. Seven. Well, Mark Raymond said that it uh, kicks your butt. Yeah. This is this eight? is. Uh, I would say this one is to a ten. Seven. Seven. Because okay, it's got it, to heat. It, as eight, I probably wouldn't be able to tolerate it. Just on the and you wouldn't scale. be going back for more, like you mm. are. No, there's something <laughs> really. Mm. Yeah. Mm. yeah, that's when you got. That's when you know when you're making a dish that you got. If you're making a spicy dish food wise, that's when you know you have the heat at a good level. It hits you, but it doesn't hit you so hard that you don't go back. But what could be in here? Because it, this could is be a caramel yes. colored vodka. They could have grilled the peppers or roasted well, the peppers. In fact, oh, on, the, on their no. website on Waypoint, it says okay. that once you taste this vodka, you will not go back to the clear stuff. <laughs> Bloody Mary. Well, that's good marketing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, th- yeah. this is yeah. really terrific for Bloody Mary. Uh, yeah. It's from Waypoint Spirits. They are located in Bloomfield, Connecticut. And they're it's, distilling. It's, it's craft distilled yeah. Labrador Noon Spicy 13. Vodka with natural flavors added. Are you yeah. noticing that, that there are these hot stores, hot mm-hmm. sauce stores opening? Yeah. Oof. That specialize in all the... It's not a chain. It's yeah. just individuals mm-hmm. yeah. who decide. In the North Fork of Long Island all in over the, the town world, of Greenport, right? that there's a hot sauce store. Yeah. Yeah. People come from all over. Yeah. And, and, they, and representative from everywhere on the planet are these hot sauces. You have to sign certain papers. <gasps> to, to get certain to ones. Tr- <laughs> to try what they claim is the hottest hot sauce in the world. Why would you do that? But that I love that vodka. We used it in the Bloody Mary today. And yeah, it was it, good. Right, I love it the elevated. But do you the, need horseradish if you have this? Yeah, I think a little bit. But that's the cool because thing about it's this a recipe. Profile. Yeah, and this recipe didn't have a lot. Right, the barbecue yeah. one. It had like a couple teaspoons in it, so it wasn't you like you brought loaded. like a pound of it. I brought a pound, just thinking if I, if we didn't have the spicy vodka, I wanted more heat. I will but, say my lips are burning. Nice. So, so that's good though. <laughs> that's when I you did. know you got it right. <laughs> Isn't this fun? Yeah. Mm-hmm. But for right now, I want to switch gears because we've been talking about Bloody Marys. I'd like to quickly talk about wine because we have a wine mm-hmm. discovery here on the Food Schmooze. It is a wine I love. And Alex, it is called, it's on the. It's on our site, foodschmooze.org, so you don't have to memorize this right now. So it's Clos de Lumiere. Which That's means... the producer. A Clos is a Walden little vineyard usually, or it can be part of the religious thing, I guess. But <laughs> Lumiere is light. Okay, the and there's wall a cool little uh, gold yeah. uh, circle yeah. on it, and so maybe we're hard to take spell. A, we're going to take a picture <laughs> of the label for you, and we have it on the site, so you can just put it on your phone and take it to the wine store, or just spell it for people. No one expects you to be able to pronounce every wine. I'm, I'm in French class now, so I'm wondering if my um, French teacher, if I should have done the liaison with Claude Des Lumières. <laughs> she's, listen, she's listening. Points off. Okay, so Claude Des Lumières, and um, that's the name of the wine. Maker. Mm-hmm. And then um, this particular wine is Le Clot. 
Yeah, that's, again, one of those words, la clot, that doesn't mean anything to the consumer, but it means something to the winery, you know, okay. to the producer. It doesn't matter, because if you just say what the vineyard just is, Just say Claude de Lumiere is the producer, and, and that's how it'll appear in the and, beverage journal. And we journal. want the white. And this is the blanc. But here, this is a really exciting thing, because as we get into the warmer season and we start to crave whites more and more... Yeah. You're looking, you're trying the various whites. Some of them just kind of leave me uh, a little bored. I adore this because it's white and it's rich. Mm. And um, so the the trick of this is that's Cote de Rhone, a white Cote de Rhone. So that's why we brought it in because everyone knows red Cote de Rhone. Everyone thinks of red Cote de Rhone as, you know, Mm -hmm. it's, it's by the glass. You serve it slightly chilled. People like it. So when we had the chance to bring in a white, I thought this is really neat. It's kind of like Chateau Neuf de Pop is known for red, but the white's are really rich and delicious. Yeah. Chateau Neuf de Pop. So it's that same idea. It's a blend. So let for, me just pour a little in the glass. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah. Talk while I do that. Yeah, for me, this was like porch wine, right? Yeah. This is something you can t- have with a meal, but it's also a great glass of wine now that it's warming up. Yeah. This Sunday, I'm going to sit on the porch and I just enjoy know. the fact that it is not snowing anymore. <laughs> So uh, this does have a dual personality or a multifaceted personality Mm -hmm. at the very least. Claude de Lumiere, and it is because it's a a white Rhone wine that it has incredible body, and Mm -hmm. yet it's sprightly in its taste, you know, kind of sporty, um, but yet a richness which will make it go with everything imaginable. That this is such a food friendly wine, and I, Chris, I agree completely. It's also just a sipper, mm-hmm. and that you won't get tired of by the end of the first glass. This is like five thumbs up for me. Awesome. And now let's talk about price. Sure. What do we say? That's the best part. So it's fourteen dollars. Go to your favorite wine shop, and they'll have it on the shelf for fourteen. They should anyway. Mm-hmm. And we're going to tell you on the site foodschmooze.org. What to say at your wine store, who the distributor is, and there you go. And the fun thing about this wine is Mm, it has body. So like you said, so when you taste it, it's like thick like Chardonnay. And then it has another grape. So it has no Chardonnay, but it's it's Grenache Blanc, Bourbon Blanc, and and, – which is a fun one to say, and then uh, Viognier. And the Viognier is really perfumey, mm. so when you smell it, it's like fruity this smelling. Is delicious. I just took a, a sip. Yeah. Delicious. I was, I was laughing, thinking, like, what would this go with? And I was thinking, oh, Southern Rhone food, like cassoulet or something. And I was saying, what are you talking about? This would go, like, with a picnic table. I mean, this is just like... <laughs> yeah. it's but just it like would go pantry with... Wine. I could have this with a grilled steak, too. Oh, yeah. Or just, yeah. you know, oh, when you come home from work, fish. and it's a Stelvin, it has a screw cap, so it's easy yeah. to open. Yeah. It's, it's I, a, I, you know, it's funny, I only look for those wines now. Can I say the grapes one more time? Because there's a Grenache Blanc, the white Grenache Blanc, 40%. And then the Viognier you mentioned, Alex, 40%. Help me pronouncing this one, and I'd never heard of this grape before. Is it yeah. B- Bourboulanc? Yeah, that's that's close enough. I mean, so it's... it's How would you say it? How do you say well, it? Well, with my French lessons. With your French like, teacher yeah. listening, Alex, give it so your best it's, shot. You know, so the, the <laughs> R is that guttural sort. So yeah. it's Bourbon Blanc is how I, I think you would say it. But I think if you Bourbon. went into and you said that like that, people would think you're crazy. So, Bourbon Blanc. I wonder if you could kind of run it together. Yeah. Like, um, Bourbon Blanc. It's the same so grape that's also... used in, um, it's exclusively sort of grown. It's a rare grape in the south of France. It's also called Blanquette. So that's maybe mm-hmm. an easier way of pronouncing it. But the reason, oh. <laughs> the reason they use the three is Grenache, you know, a Spanish grape likes heat. It has a lot of alcohol and low acidity. And then the Bourbon Blanc has a lot of acidity 
and a lot of aroma. Mm-hmm. So making a recipe. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And then the Viognier the has a lot of fruitiness, a lot of like perfume. And that's where the floral aroma comes off you the got wine. It. So they put all three together and they all fill in each other's voids. It's a recipe. So the Grenache without the acidity would be flabby and you, yeah. you would drink it and you would be missing the... And you get tired of it quickly. Yeah. Swordfish on the grill. Oh, that's oh, a fun oh, one. Oh, yeah. oh, oh. Oysters, you, I would even have it with oysters. Did you see the vintage? What year is it? 2016. Yep, very good. So we're going to put it on the website for you, foodschmooze.org. That's my spring to summer wine. I finding these wines on the show for, for folks. Is this one of the most exciting it's, things we do? And when it's under $15, that's I think even that's better. Yeah. better. <laughs> I know, it's just thrilling to me. So this is going to be my summer wine, I've yeah. decided. Always I'm keep a few in the refrigerator, dough. chilled, ready to go. Yeah, yes, there's no <laughs> and last for... minute guests. Yeah, and yeah. with all these wines that we always recommend, there's no weird additives. There's no like sugars added. No nonsense. This is all authentic, wholesomely made. It's the real stuff. These wines we're choosing are all handmade in a traditional manner. So, well said, Alex, and thank you so much for this discovery. Thank you. Yummy. Here we go. We have vegetarian meals that feel like a real main that, you know, you think it has meat in it. These are really, Mm. really good. And it's that season. So stay with us for that. We love the local. Please support your local food growers and food makers for on-demand podcast delivery of the Food Schmooze Party every week. And to find terrific food, wine, cocktails, restaurant recommendations, hot topics, our short, fun streaming videos, and the recipes we feature, we are always online talking with you at foodschmooze.org. We'll be right back. You like potato? And you like potato? You like tomato? You like tomato, potato, potato, tomato, tomato. You're listening to a rebroadcast of the Faith Middleton Food Schmooze. This show originally aired in 2017. First thing in the morning when I wake up. Boil up to the kitchen and I cut it up. Got the toast on deck, so I spread it up. With the sunny side eggs and the skilly up. Now you know I had to go ahead and level up. Avocado so fresh, can't get enough. Orange juice in the fridge, so I pour it up. Hands up real high for the breakfast club. Avocado, 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 avocado. Yeah, and you know what's up. Avocado, 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 avocado. This is the Food Schmooze Party offering the richness of life and coming to you in Connecticut, Rhode Island, Massachusetts, and New York, including Westchester County, the east end of Long Island, the Hamptons, of course. The senior producer is Robin Doyon Aiken. And to hear this show on WNPR, it airs Thursdays at 3. Podcasts and our curated recommendations are always online at foodschmooze.org. And of course, you can talk with us on Facebook, too. Search Faith Middleton Foodschmooze. Here we go, my friends. This is really a book that I think is terrific. It's called Simple Green Suppers. Mm. Here's the question. How do you get a green supper with lots of vegetables as they're coming out and more and more as the season goes on? How do you get them to taste like and feel like you're having a main dish? Your head isn't on a swivel. You're not saying to yourself, what else is there? I think I'll go home and have real dinner. 
you just say, wow, this is it. That's what our author, Susie Middleton, has done. She's got a farm now out on Martha's Vineyard. You may remember her name because she's done other cookbooks we featured on the show. She's really good. Great curator of recipes and vegetables and fruits and everything else. Used to be a fine cooking. Okay. So um, Simple Green Supper, Susie Middleton. Welcome to the Food Schmooze. Welcome back, I should say. Oh, Faith, I'm so glad to be with you guys today. Thanks for having me. Before we get to your avocado toast, one of my favorite things, <laughs> tell me, what, what's, what's your philosophy with this? Have I got it kind of right? Yeah, definitely. Well, you know, I kind of tiptoed over the line from eating a lot of vegetables to eating vegetarian a few years ago, and I was facing this, well, how do I get a quick supper on the table every night with my, I've got my fresh veggies, now what do I do? And I figured out that doing a pantry refresh and really concentrating on having good things in your pantry that you can turn into quick suppers. And so I divided Simple Green Suppers into chapters organized by the pantry ingredients, noodles, grains, beans and legumes, leaves, toast, tortillas, eggs, and broth. And so the recipes are arranged um, by pairing hmm. those yep. things with so, the vegetables. So vegetables plus one. Yeah, and that one might be any of the things you mentioned. And that yeah. stuff that you've chosen is what makes this, give this umami kind of feeling, like it's kind of meatiness. Fullness. Mm. Yes, that and um, I've got about 30 little quick sauces in the book that you can make ahead, and I have a lot of make-ahead tips, too, so that there's little flavor boosters, which, as you know, is kind of one of my things. Yeah, me too. <laughs> you, can, you know, you take your pantry staple, your fresh veggies, and a quick little sauce, and boy, you've got something pretty good pretty fast. So it's not going to come probably as a surprise to you as you, as you listen to this show that avocado toast has become a thing. <laughs> so, yeah. I mean, it's a thing. It's a meal. The question is, now <laughs> chefs are starting to get adventurous with this avocado toast and i love this because uh it's becoming even more delicious i love avocado i love the crunchiness of a piece of toast you know the question is what could you do with just the mashed avocado and the toast to make it sing and be just crazy good where you think wow this is a meal all by itself so this is Susie middleton's avocado toast with no relation by the way um <laughs> baby kale Blue cheese, pecans, quick pickled radishes. In other words, you do them really super fast, and a little drizzle of honey. Tell me about this. Two toasts per person. Oh, it's so good. <laughs> well, it has a little baby kale salad on it, and I take this lemon and olive oil that I dress the kale with, and I first toss the sliced radishes with it. So the quick pickled radishes are instant, instant. And this is a toast that has layers of flavor. We start with spreading with a warm toast, and I really like putting your toast under the broiler or on the grill so it gets crisp on the outside and still a little tender on the inside. Mm. So spread some blue cheese, your favorite blue cheese. If you don't like blue cheese, you could do some goat cheese. Then layer on your avocados. Then you take your little baby kale, toss it with a little of the lemon and olive oil, sprinkle that over the avocados, toss on some toasted pecans, um, and garnish with your quick pickled radishes and a little drizzle of honey. And really, this is so incredibly satisfying. Oh, I know. Some people will mash the avocado. You slice it I do. and put it on. It's, so it's you more don't like even, a yeah. composed salad on toast, but it's still edible. <laughs> sounds oh, yeah. so incredible to me. And I have to say, because we didn't make this one, but we did make the next one. We're going to tell you about this. And <laughs> oh, it good. was wildly good. Oh, um, so so this is the avocado toast. Susie Middleton, her book, Simple Green Suppers. And her idea is 
the greens and then plus one. And she goes through all the what the plus one opportunities are. Grains, noodles, beans, leaves, toast, tortillas, eggs, broth. You just heard us do the one with the plus one as toast. Yeah, toast um, is my favorite chapter. I hate <laughs> 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 I have to admit it. You're not supposed to play, play favorites, but there's some darn good recipes in there. Okay, so I want to go, go to Chris Prosperi now. By the way, I'm with Alex Province, our senior contributors of, of Hartford. He's also a wine broker. Uh, Robin Doyon Aiken, our senior contributor and a, and a member of the show, Chris Prosperi. Perry of Metro Beast Restaurant in Simsbury, Connecticut, Bailey Pryor, the filmmaker, and we have Mark Raymond, wine broker of Weathersfield, Connecticut. So, Chris, tell me about this, because we asked you to make this for us. This was uh, baby potato, greens, Hi, <laughs> uh, baby potato, greens, garlic, and chickpea hash. Okay. Wow. But before we go there, you know what? When I first started cooking, I fed macrobiotics in a restaurant in Florida. And this kind of cooking and, and the recipes in her book kind of bring me back to that. And the hardest thing we had to do cooking for macrobiotics is making them feel satisfied. And it wasn't just a feeling of, oh, this tastes good. It was more their bodies were satisfied, right? They got the proteins, the mm-hmm. amino acids they needed. I think she's definitely figured this out in a more <laughs> simplified way. Wow. And I'm thinking about when we ate this. And as I was cooking it, something was in my head going, why does this type of cooking look so familiar to me? And that's why. It really does. You don't need to be a meat eater if you could figure this out because you get everything you need in each one of her recipes. I ate this so fast. And totally totally satisfied, right? Absolutely. And and, uh, and I'm totally satisfied. And that's how she does it. Okay. So tell me what you did, Christopher. It takes a little time, but this is an easy recipe. Take potatoes, put them on the stove and some water, a little bit of salt, and bring them up to a simmer. Cook them for about 25 minutes, but while you're doing that, you get the rest of it ready. And it starts with melting a couple tablespoons of butter in a pan, and you get your drained chickpeas. This is one of her pantry items. Again, chickpeas protein. Canned. Canned, drained. Get them in a pan, and you kind of toast them. And again, this is a way that she gets the flavor, right? So if you would put these in butter. So that's like five minutes. Yeah, but if you put these in butter and just sort of swirl them around and then continue the recipe, you're not going to get the same thing as she does when she gets them in there for five to seven minutes in the butter, getting them nice and toasted, mm-hmm. right? You're adding more flavor to it. And when you're you're not using meat, you need that kind of thing. And can I say that when I have canned chickpeas, they feel to me as if I'm eating chickpeas that haven't been cooked enough. Yes. And, Chalky. and yeah. Chris, you are so right on with all this because this is exactly what I'm trying to do. Is add, I love browning things because it brings that flavor and faith. You can brown canned chickpeas. And it really, really helps the texture wow. and the flavor. And I also, it's the one thing I do recommend that people cook themselves as, as opposed to the other canned beans, but you can also use canned too. So. Okay. So, Chris, then you, in that, that yeah. same pan, you added those added chopped the gar- yeah. greens. No, you add garlic first, and you get yeah. that going a little bit. And then you add your greens in there, cook that, right? Get them wilted and nice. And then you, what you really do is sort of so push that off about to the Swiss side. Swiss chard. Can yeah. I just, yeah. do, Swiss chard, spinach, broccoli, young kale. 
kale, yep. whatever you want. We use baby or kale because kale. that's what's coming out of the <laughs> garden right now is baby kale. So that's what I yeah. used. And then once it's wilted, you sort of push it off to the side. Mm-hmm. So you open up a space in the pan. Now your potatoes are done. You drain them. You add a little bit of butter back to that side of the pan and you throw your potatoes in whole. And I love this. You take a back of a spoon or a potato masher and you just sort of give them one pop that sort of flattens them, crushes them a little bit, mm. but still leaves them in big pieces. So and that's you, where yeah, that texture came from. Again, and oh, then yeah. you take that and you sort of get them nice and you start browning them. Then you mix it all up. You sort of get it into a nice hash looking thing and you again go back and brown it. So now you have all this stuff mixed together. You leave it in one big pile and you brown one side of it and then with a spatula you very carefully flip it and you have this one big thing. Mm. Again, extra uh. crispiness, extra flavor from oh. the browning. And then her sauce on the side is a little sour cream and chives. Oh, wait, the secret ingredient. And this is another great thing. You add a little bit of vinegar or hot sauce at the end because that just brightens it all Mm. up. Yeah. yeah. And if you're not a hot sauce person, you can't have it. You could do lemon juice. Yeah, or vinegar or whatever. You know, we are big Mm. Frank's hot sauce fans on the show. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a couple glugs and and we're oh, my God. Sour cream and chives on the side. Really, oh, Susie. Chris, that was such a good description. Thank you. <laughs> you know why? Because we just ate it, and it's just, it's still with yeah. me, and it is yeah. such a great tasting dish. Can I tell you, we are really excited because Susie and her publisher have allowed us to put that hash recipe on our website and also to put the avocado toast recipe on our website at foodschmooze.org. Susie, thank you so much for that. And we have one more at the website we're going to tell you about. Avocado toast for lunch. And- and the chickpea hash for dinner, and you're set. Yeah. There you go. You're, there you go. You're two thirds vegetarian, <laughs> yeah. and I guess you can have meat at breakfast. Heaven. Right? <laughs> Those are proving to already be the two of the most popular recipes in the book that ah. people are, are cooking a lot of. So you well, can get that. Well, see, to Robin, this was, these are big mm. votes from Robin, so oh, I'm going to give her credit. <laughs> Robin's um, best. <laughs> <laughs> she is the best. I think so, too. Okay, this is a recipe for the, for the Spring Farmer's Market Stir Fry. Now, you say spring on the recipe, but the fact is that throughout so much of the year, because of the world we live in, right. uh, we on the show are not necessarily these practitioners of you only eat what grows within two minutes of your house. So we know that we can get a lot of things year-round, and during the season when things are flooding the markets, to do a stir-fry like this, wow, are you in heaven. Chris, you talk about doing this all the time in yeah. your way. So mm-hmm. you can do it in a stir-fry pan. You can do it in all kinds of ways. So, Susie, tell us about this because you're, you're working with Japanese turnips. Where are we going to get those? Hmm. Well, I love them. Um, I've been growing them in the garden and selling them at my farm stand. And I'm. this is one of those ones where I'm pushing a little bit towards something that is not as readily available, but I'm hoping it will be soon. I think we've all probably seen them at farmer's markets, but they're not yet in grocery stores. But the interesting thing about this little stir-fry that's in a miso broth is it's got radishes in it, too. And with both the young um, Japanese turnips and the radishes, I separate the greens from the roots and dice them or cut them into wedges, the roots, and stir-fry them and then throw the greens in afterwards. So you could do this with carrots or um, kohlrabi or any other sort of springish type, uh, even green beans, any kind of vegetable if you can't find the turnips. Or any vegetable during any part of the Hmm. summer in particular. And Uh, is this a gluten-free recipe? Do you know if there's any... 
It well, is gluten. Free. So miso can be both with gluten and without gluten. I think that's correct. Is I that know soy soy has soy can have gluten. I don't know about miso. So no. there is a gluten free miso mm-hmm. out there for oh, people yeah. who are gluten free because we've done you know we're really mm-hmm. focusing on gluten free stuff today. Uh, so just know that you can go to your health food store and I'm sure find it or yeah. online. Go and ahead. I love the fact that she's cooking radishes. I do this all the time. We I have never eat, done. This. Yeah, we usually oh, just eat radishes with a little salt or butter right in the yeah. spring when they come up, but. It is a great vegetable to cook. And I think radish is number 74 on the popularity. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's much higher. Right. Oh, much definitely higher. much higher. Right, much after, higher. right after eggplant. But wait, <laughs> but wait if you, if you, <laughs> from a farmer's point of view, or if you're shopping at this mm-hmm. time of year, they're like the only thing, you know? Yep. So right. my goal was to tell people that you can do something with them other than, you know, you can cook with them. Um, Susie, we, you, we you had to. at them and you're like, what do I do? We use a local farm all year round, and one of the things our farm sellers is watermelon radishes. And I don't know what it is about the watermelon radish, but around here, it grows like a weed. And no matter how little he plants, he gets a ton of it. And so in in March, when it's the only thing left in the cellar, we cook a lot of it. Okay, yeah. so we have about a minute left in this segment, <laughs> I'm sad to say. But this uh, recipe for, and you can have some fun with it yourself depending on what you find in your market, um, farmer's market or supermarket even. But th- just to do this kind of vegetable stir-fry, uh, you can do it in a regular pan. You could do this on the grill and assemble it, and it would be exactly like a stir-fry. So it is the farmer's market stir-fry, and look for, uh, Chris says these baby Japanese turnips Acroy are turnips. all... All yeah. around farmer at farmers markets in, in our region, mm-hmm. and I'm sure on the east end of Long Island, also our region, Massachusetts, Rhode Island. Just look for them. Japanese turnips. This recipe on our website, foodschmooze.org. Susie Middleton has been our returning guest. Her book is called Simple Green Suppers. So vegetable-based plus one. You add one thing to make it feel like a real meal. A great, great idea, and I think a fresh strategy on one dish, uh, vegetarian cooking. And um, a lot of this, of course, Mm gluten-free. Susie, thank you so much for being on the show. Faith, thanks so much for having me, and you guys have a great day. Don't eat any more potatoes. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) The healthful vegetable. We're going to be coming to your vegetable stand one of these days on Martha's Vineyard. Bye, Susie. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And remember, never eat more than you can lift. In New Haven, I'm Faith Middleton. Come to mind.